Welcome to A Regenerative Future with Matt Powers. I'm your host, Matt Powers, and we're talking today with the Rodale Institute's Jeff Moyer. And he's been with them for a long time, and he has a lot of amazing insights into the development of organic standards, into the development of regenerative organic standards. And we're just gonna dive into the history of how this all came to be and what we can do right now. So it's, it's, it's incredibly exciting to have him on here and be able to share this exciting revolutionary news that is coming out and coming our way, coming to stores near you. I'm so excited and grateful to have him on here. So let's just dive right in. When did, when did this all start for you with soil? Well, you know, things, it's a little hard to pin down exactly when things happen in the context of soil, but certainly uh, the idea of, of organic agriculture uh, hit me early on in my career. Um, you've really got to go back to uh, my growing up on, a, on a, a small kind of hobby farm here in southeastern Pennsylvania uh, where I got interested not so much in agriculture, actually, as I was in forestry. Our, our small farm had a fairly large woodlot, and I like to spend my time as a, as a young person in the, in the woods. So after high school, it was off to forestry school for me because that's really where my uh, passion was at the moment, but at, the, at that time. But when I got out of, um, out of college, uh, the only job I could find in forestry was uh, out west, and my girlfriend was in the east, and I wasn't giving up on her, and that worked out because we've been married about 40 years now. All right. And, um, yeah, and, and so the other part of what happened along with forestry was, uh, you know, this was in the mid-'70s, and it was part of that sort of back-to-the-land movement, the tail end of the hippie counterculture, and I really was enthralled with the idea of getting a piece of land uh, building a house, uh, heating a house with with free firewood, and having a big garden and being self-sustainable uh, uh, on the land. That was really my goal as a, as a young person. But you quickly uh, begin to realize that the uh, free firewood wasn't really free, and mm-hmm. you know the taxes still have to be paid on that piece of land, and it was time to to get a job and go to work, and I, I was fortunate enough to uh, land a job way back in 1975 at uh, Rodale, and I've been here ever since. So for me, the the uh, concept of farming organically is really sort of the only way I've ever farmed, uh, and you don't farm organically for very long before you begin to realize that everything that you're doing in agricultural production is based on soil and the concepts of, of soil health. So um, for me, it was just a kind of a natural fit and it, it's just an extension of what I was trying to do in terms of my lifestyle to be attracted to the concepts of, of soil and healthy soil. So, you know, I can't really pin it down to one particular event or point in time. It was just sort of a, uh, kind of a growth and a stepping stone from one concept to the next and certainly 
Hospital Health fits right in there. Well, that's I'm incredible. So what was the Rodale Institute like at that time in 1975? <laughs> oh, well, what was the Institute like? Um, you know, what, what had happened was uh, J.I. Rodale, who started the Institute in 1947, was really uh, focusing his energies on just getting the ideas and concepts of organic agriculture kind of formulated and out there in the public domain so that people would start talking about it, thinking about it, and ultimately, you know, uh, purchasing organic products. So he wasn't really focusing in on this idea of, of science and, and a science basis, a science-based uh, program from which to launch from. But he passed away in 1971, so I never really met or knew him. But his son, Robert Rodale, took over in, in 1971 when he passed away and was really concerned with the speed with which organic production was uh, sort of taking off and being adopted. And he thought it was far too slow. And some people would say it's still far too slow. But uh, he was concerned with how government policy was impeding the uh, rate of adoption of organic production. Wow. And what he, what he said was the way you change policy and perception at a at a mega level is on the back of science. And so he was very adamant that the institute sort of shift gears and switch from being sort of a um, uh, a storyteller to an organization that was focused on um, on using hardcore science to move the needle of organic production. And so that in 1975, we were really just beginning to make that shift and that transition from a, an organization that was probably uh, a little looser than most scientists would like to see it being operated into something that was a fully functional uh, research facility. Uh, what what happened was the the, uh, the original farm that the Rodale Institute sat on was the farm that G.I. Rodale had purchased. It was a small farm in the town of Allentown, Pennsylvania. And when G.I. Rodale passed away, I believe they actually used the proceeds from his life insurance to purchase the farm that the Institute now sits on in uh, the next county to the west, Berks County, Pennsylvania, where they could purchase a larger farm. This farm is uh, 330 acres. The other farm was, at the time, around 70 and is now only about 39 acres. Uh, so we, we purchased this farm in 1971. By 1975, we were beginning to get our feet under ourselves in terms of what we wanted to do and how we wanted to go about it. And uh, so by the time I got here, we were just really launching into this whole idea of organic research, and that's where we focus our energy today. We do clearly have a, uh, an outreach and education component to what we do, 
but again, it's all focused on this idea that it's being driven by uh, high-quality uh, scientific pursuits. Yeah, and to that end, you guys have one of the you guys have the longest-running side-by-side comparison of conventional to organic. That's correct. Our farming systems trial was started in 1981. Wow! So you, you've gotten to see every step of the way. I have. That's very fortunate. So. I recently was reading Kiss the Ground and it struck me as so profound that regenerative agriculture was the original wording and language that the, the, the Rodale family was using originally before organic. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I think, I think it kind of grew up simultaneously. Really, organic was the original language. Oh, we really? Started with okay. Organic. But, but Bob Rodale recognized, as, as he was taking over the reins of the organization, that there were, um, first of all, he was, again, his concern was that the adoption rate was slower than, than he felt it should be or could be. And one of the things that was impeding that, as I mentioned, was lack of good scientific information because agriculture is built and moves on the back of science. So he said there's a gap in science and there's also a, um, uh, a gap in terms of certification standards. In order to move forward faster, he believed we had to bring on board the, uh, federal, the power of the federal government, both in terms of policy and uh, certification. So he was a, a strong proponent of the idea that the USDA should be involved in these concepts of organic. Now, many people would argue uh, and argued then very strongly that they thought that was a mistake. Um, and some people today still argue that maybe it was a mistake to do that, to, to involve the federal government. But again, he believed that in order to grow the word organic, he sort of had to give it away. So he was in the process of giving away the word organic to the federal government so that they could um, move things further faster than an organization like Rodale could in and of itself. But he also was recognizing that as that was happening and as the standards were being and regulations were being written, uh, because the, uh, the federal law was passed in 1990, uh, he would be in the process of negotiating with the government through the 80s um, he began to recognize that the word organic, as it was being viewed in the marketplace, had some uh, shortcomings or maybe some gaps. You might call them gaps in the standard. For example, he was really interested in the concepts of continuous improvement, suggesting that uh, a standard creates sort of a, uh, I don't want to call it a basement, but a, a bar and once you're over that bar, you're in the club and you're organic. And there's really no incentive with, once you're over that bar to continuously try to improve your system. Yet, many farmers recognize that their systems were continuously improving when they were farming organic, uh, organically. And, and how could they capture some recognition for that continuous improvement within a system that didn't recognize it? Uh, so there was a shortcoming right there. He's saying, how do we um, 
incorporate this idea of continuous improvement into the standard. Well, it was clear that the USDA said, how do you, and, and maybe rightly so, they said, how do you certify the concept of continuous improvement? How do you showcase that somebody, a, a farm production, for example, a producer, is really continuously trying to improve their system? How do you document that and certify to that? There's no real standard. You can't say, well, uh, Farmer Joe or Farmer Jane uh, does this, so they're in. They, they're certified organic, but they have to do this to continuously try to improve it. When every farm across the country is drastically different, so we, you know he sort of gave up on that within the concepts of the USDA organic certification, but yet never lost track of the idea in his head that he thought that that was important or felt it was important. And, uh, the and then, of course, there's. Go ahead. I was just saying the the flip side, so the audience understands, is conventional farmers when you know they get rewarded for improving according to the standards of you know the USDA and all those kinds of things, right? I mean, there's all this. Uh, I, I've heard people who have high yields, you know, they get recognized. Right. Exactly. But there was no way to recognize beyond the point that you were organic. Organic in and of itself was a recognition, but with once you're no incentive. Sort of, once you're organic, there's no, not only is there no recognition, there's no incentive to do anything better. Uh, and yet we recognize that continuous improvement is an important concept as we look at soil health and as we look at um, resource management. How do, you know, who wants to, to work in any industry where continuous improvement isn't recognized? Uh, right. That seems almost unfair. It doesn't matter whether you're an attorney or a shoe salesman. Um, as you improve, you expect somehow, whether it's through your paycheck or it's through accolades, whatever it might be, you get recognized for your, your continuous improvement. And yet within a, a standard like Certified Organic, there is no recognition for continuous improvement. Uh, also, when you look at the federal standard and you, you think about issues like um, social fairness or social justice within the production process or processing process, there is no language in the federal standard about that. And so while many uh, consumers make the assumption that farm workers on organic farms are treated somehow uh, more fairly, uh, and maybe they are, maybe they aren't, there is nothing in the standard that talks about social fairness. Right, so and then there's also a lot of ambiguity, right? Organics. Right, and, and, it, and again, we're, we're, you know, as we begin talking about the regenerative organic standard, there's no question in, in our mind, or nor should there be in the minds of consumers, that organic is a far better production system than anything uh, that's out there uh, could pretend to be, uh, particularly in the conventional world. So uh, organic still is, uh, and rightfully is, the sort of the gold bar standard for production and processing. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't ways to improve it. And so what we're doing it, with the regenerative organic uh, certification standard is looking at where those gaps are how we can maybe fill those gaps in a 
positive way or recognize those farmers who are, have already uh, moved beyond sort of the baseline for certified organic and get, get recognition for that. Wow. So, so you know, our, this idea is to not displace the standard, but to add on to the right. standard? Well, I don't know if you want to say add on. Or but add a new level. On. Yeah, build, build on to that. So in order to become, uh, wow. as we're designing our, and it's still in the process, but in order to design the regenerative organic certification standard, you ought, you already have to be certified under a USDA-approved uh, certification process. That's amazing. We're not displacing the word organic. Uh, we're we are building on to it and saying, let's fill in some of the gaps that are missing. Uh, another example is soil health. Now, clearly the, the, the federal law mentions soil and soil health. The standard itself and the regulations uh, designed by the ONOSB and the National Organic Program, the NOP, all talk about and mention soil. Yet, within the certification process, it really isn't highlighted as one of the cornerstones of uh, organic management. It may be to an individual farmer, but it's not in the certification process. So, we see that as a gap. Uh, many farmers see that as a gap, and they want to be recognized for their continuous improvement in their soil health management. So this standard, as, as we're pursuing it, would acknowledge that um, farmers, uh, many farmers, have moved far beyond a baseline standard that might have been acceptable when they first began organic, but recognize that over the years, and in some cases decades, uh, of organic production, their soil health has improved and continues to improve, and there needs to be some recognition for that in terms of what they're doing. So uh, an example would be many farmers, when they make the transition from conventional to organic, are sort of coming out of a, uh, an input-sensitive system where they're used to putting inputs into the soil and getting outputs out. And because of that uh, process, they tend to look for initially a sort of one-to-one -one substitution. Oh, I'm transitioning to organic, so I can no longer use product X. Um, where do I find product Y that I could use in place of that? But as they progress in their in their farming uh, organic farming endeavors, they begin to realize that it's really a systems approach, and that over time the health of their soil has changed, and they really begin to uh, produce products based on this concept of healthy soil. And so they may be uh, improving their cover crop management. They've certainly changed or adjusted their crop rotations. They may have animals on their farm now where they didn't before. They're looking at building their organic matter content. And in many cases, or most cases, they're looking at ways of trying to reduce tillage on their farm. So as farmers get better at that, can we, our idea was, could we create a standard that takes into account that uh, experiential learning and those changes that farmers have made and recognize that again in the marketplace saying, um, if you reduce tillage and if you improve your soil health and if you're in a state of continuous improvement, should there be a way, and we think there should be, for the marketplace to reward that and also to incentivize it. 
So if we can incentivize it through a uh, certification standard and then meet that standard, then we have an opportunity, theoretically, to reward those endeavors. And I think that's what everybody wants. Uh, I, I don't think you can go to any person in this country and, and ask them, no matter whether they're extremely knowledgeable or not very knowledgeable, uh, the question about improving soil health, everybody's going to say, well, of course we want healthier soil in this country. Why wouldn't we? Who's going to vote for poor, poor health soil? You know, well, let's make it unhealthy. Nobody's going to suggest that. So how do we then reward people and incentivize them to move in a particular direction? And that's what this standard is really trying to acknowledge as we move people through. As you may have seen in our standard, we've got three tiers, the bronze, silver, and gold, as we try to move people along and give them opportunity to advance uh, beyond simply, or, or and I don't want to say simply, but beyond uh, organic into regenerative organic bronze, then silver, then gold. So you have this continuous uh, improvement. And hopefully there'll be some sort of recognition in, in terms of the marketplace for that. Wow. So I know that there a lot of people see, you know, the inverse of subsidies, the cost of going organic as, you know, impediments. Are these going to be addressed um, by the new standard? So will it be incentivized to get out of the organic stage and move into the regenerative because you'll get relief from that? Well, I don't know that there'll be relief from that. I mean, there, there are costs to any certification process, True. those certification costs would still be here. Uh, as, we, as I mentioned, you still have to uh, become certified organic before you can even do this. But our hope would be that either through, and we, and we haven't really figured this out because this is all brand new yet, either through um, recognition in the marketplace that consumers, if there's a consumer-facing logo or label that they begin to deliberately recognize it and shop for it. That would be one way that you can be recognized and rewarded. The other would be if you're, particularly if you're in the commodity business, where there might be uh, buyer preference for a, a commodity, say a large scale uh, food processor uh, might say to their vendors, we will only purchase from you, whether it's corn, soybeans, or macadamia nuts, I don't know what it might be, uh, we will only purchase from you if you meet this new regenerative organic standard because we as an organization want to uh, let our customers know that we support healthy soil, animal welfare, and social fairness. That's the real incentive right that, there. Right. So wow. that might be an incentive. And, and who actually covers that cost of certification, whether it's the producer or the buyer, I, we don't know yet. We don't even, haven't even come to the conclusion of what the actual cost would be. But what we're trying to do, because we're uh, building on the organic certification, is over time work with all the certifiers that uh, already certify operations to the organic standard would now be able to certify to the regenerative organic standard as well. So yeah. they might come to my farm and I might say to them, oh, I want, you know, I want to be certified as organic. And they go, great, we do that. Or I might say, I really want to try to certify to the regenerative organic standard. And they would say, okay, we do that too. Uh, 
so they could, uh, the same person would be there as an inspector, the same certifying body would be there. Uh, for part of that certification, they're accredited by the USDA, and for part of it, uh, they're accredited through the uh, regenerative organics seal. But it could be, and theoretically would be, the same inspector there doing the work. That's the idea. Wow, and so do you think that this is going to be coming online this year? Well, yeah, in terms of time frame, uh, that's our goal. Our goal is to, uh, was to put this out as a, theoretically it was supposed to be a soft launch in September, just to see what people thought. Uh, it was a much harder launch than we anticipated in that people really uh, gravitated to the idea, both positively and negatively with feedback, and, and that's good. It mean, means people were paying attention. Uh, people were interested in what was going on. And, and quite frankly, uh, because these words have always been Rodale words, we wanted to lay claim to some territory here. Um, many people have already begun to uh, co-opt the word regenerative uh, and want to change, adjust, or manipulate the meaning of the word to uh, support whatever it is their viewpoint might be, and Rodeo Institute wanted to uh, step up and claim, put a stake in the ground, and claim some of our own territory around that word to say, uh, for example, some people are saying, well, regenerative agriculture really is about carbon sequestration, and we would not argue that that isn't part of it, but it's not as simple in our mind as saying it's only about carbon sequestration. There's not much more to it. That's why we did some of these other pieces. And so we wanted to claim some of our own territory around our own word, and that's why we chose this time to to launch into this into what we're trying to do. It wasn't that we were looking for work because clearly we're we're busy people, um, <laughs> but we really thought that this was important for us to to claim that territory and put a stake in the ground for what we believe our words mean. Um, so we're, that's that's one of the reasons that we're doing this. And then in terms of timing, what we did was we put it out for that soft launch. We uh, asked the public for comments. The, originally, we said we were going to have a 30-day comment period. Uh, people, the first comment we got was that's not enough time, and so we uh, expanded that to be a 90-day comment period. And then it actually went to the end of the year to allow people the time that they felt they needed to digest what we were talking about, discuss what we were talking about, and then make a meaningful and valuable comment uh, regarding what we were talking about. So that comment period just closed uh, literally two weeks ago, and what we're doing now is we're in the process of uh, evaluating and compiling those uh, comments. Uh, many of them are very, very good, very well thought out comments. Some of them, of course, are are not as uh, meaningful. <laughs> well, you know, you get comments like, I think this is a dumb idea, you shouldn't do it. Okay, it's, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion. That doesn't mean we're going to not do it. Uh, and some of the comments were very um, targeted and focused on particular language that we had in our uh, suggested standard uh, 
where they thought other language might work better, and we're certainly open to that, and we'll be reviewing all of those comments in their entirety and incorporating those that we think um, make sense uh, and, you know, probably discarding some that we think um, have missed the target in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. After we get through that process, we hope to be able to make a more formal launch of a final, uh, as final as it is anyway, uh, regulation, keeping in mind that not the uh, USDA portion of the organic regulation, because we can't change that. Uh, only the USDA and the National Organic Standards Board can. And so we adopt that in its entirety. But the other components uh, we can make as dynamic as we need to, knowing that, you know, as the administrator of that piece, we can uh, take advantage of both public comment or new science as it comes along over the uh, over the years to adjust our standard if we need to. Uh, but in the short term, we will have a, a final standard, hopefully ready to launch uh, at Natural Foods Expo West in Anaheim, California in March, and I forget the dates for that event, but that's where we hope to be able to say here is our final um, regulation or final certification standard. Uh, at that point, we are, because right now we're collecting the names of individual farms and processors that have already stepped up and said we would like to be uh, first in line for getting certified. What we hope to do is run some of those through the system as a pilot study, knowing that anytime you launch something new like this, there's bound to be uh, bugs in the system in terms of actually certifying to the standard. Uh, so once you go through the process, you may find out that certain language doesn't work or certain protocols don't work. How do we make adjustments there so that we can uh, refine the, the system and make it uh, uh, functional and palatable to all those involved? Um, once we get through that process, and we're anticipating that that may take uh, six to eight months, then, and maybe we're being overly optimistic, which is usually the case, um, we would ideally have some farms uh, certified under this standard by the end of uh, 2018. And then certainly by 2019, we'd be open to the public and running and see what, see what the public thinks and, and what happens and what works and what doesn't work, and we're excited to, uh, to find out. That's our kind of our strategy. That's very exciting. What key insights, uh, you know, should folks be sharing and you know taking away from this this new I this new concept of regenerative agriculture? Uh, and what should they be sharing? Uh, maybe we should start with what's the official definition, since it is your guys's word. You know, what's the official definition for regenerative agriculture? Well, what we're saying is that regenerative organic certification, uh, our, our official language says it leverages existing high bar organic animal welfare and social fairness standards and includes uh, some additional requirements about soil. So, for example, we didn't, uh, we didn't create the organic certification component of this standard. We took the USDA's version. We didn't create the language around animal welfare 
there's many uh, well-vetted uh, animal welfare standards already out there, and so we took the very best language mm. from those standards that already exist and were well-vetted. Uh, we did the same thing with social fairness. We worked with organizations uh, that, uh, uh, like, like Food Justice and like Compassion and World Farming, like a Fair World Project, we worked with those groups and said, help give us the language that we need so that we can accomplish your goals and ours because the goals should be one and the same. I mean, treating farm workers fairly is is incredibly valuable and important. An example would be uh, a company, a, a clothing processing company could be buying organic cotton from a developing nation where the cotton was actually harvested by school-aged children who were forbidden to go to school because they had to go pick cotton. Now, the person in the U.S. or Europe who might be purchasing that garment at a higher price in the marketplace than they would pay for uh, a non-organic cotton has the expectation that that's not what's happening. So we want to make sure that we uh, build on the word organic and maintain the integrity of what consumers' expectations are when they support those people who are uh, producing organic, uh, organic products. Wow. But we didn't create the language around social fairness because that's, there is language already out there doing that. The only place that we really uh, stepped in as an institution here to create language was around the components of soil health because we, uh, we have some uh, experience and credibility in the world of soil health and we really wanted to uh, incorporate some of our language in this uh, in this arena, so for example, we have you know because we're basing on this whole system on sort of organic certification. By default, we're saying that if you apply uh, pesticides to the to your farm operation, you can't have healthy soil. You can't take healthy soil and spray it with pesticides and expect it to stay healthy. That just doesn't make sense. So we don't allow that. By the same token, we're saying that. You have to have crop rotations. You have to plant cover crops. You have to do those practices that we know help improve soil health. So our standard, there's several ways you can create standards. You can create a standard based on principles, and so that, you know, it almost gets a, uh, a religious connotation. You know, it's based on principles that you're saying, we're gonna certify that you follow these principles. You can also have a practice that's based on testing. You can say, we're going to create this standard and we're going to test your product to make sure that the outcomes are uh, in line with our standard. The problem that we had with those systems is it's really hard to get people to buy into to concepts and principles and certify to that. If you have your certification based solely on testing, then unfortunately what happens is you, uh, you almost beg to have people try to beat the test. I don't care whether it's a sporting event or uh, somebody sitting in a, uh, a high school test that didn't study and prepare for it, uh, cheating happens. 
people begin to say, all I have to do is beat the test and I get the outcome that I want. So, I mean, would you rather go to a doctor that studied and passed the test or someone who looked over the shoulder of their fellow student and in that particular test uh, got the same outcome? Um, that's what we're saying. It's not about strictly about outcomes. It's our test, I mean, our standard is really based on practices. So what we're saying is if you follow these practices, by default, we know you're going to have the desired outcomes in terms of having uh, more fairly treated workers, uh, healthier, happier animals, and healthier soil. Those are the components that you're going to get along with your organic certification and, and these additional pillars creating the regenerative organic standard. That's our idea. So what is the projected impact of regenerative organic certification if it's widely adopted by consumers? Well, of course, our, our, our goal is if it's widely adopted by consumers, we are going to have more organic farms. We're going to have more uh, healthier animals. We're going to have healthier people. We're going to have healthier soil. And we're going to create, by creating a high bar that people begin to achieve, it, it raises everybody's game. So even those farmers that aren't organic are going to have to step up their game in terms of these components that we're looking at. Because who wants to be left behind? If you look, and, and I'm not a great uh, admirer of athletes, particularly, or sports, but people don't tune in uh, to watch the Olympics to watch somebody jump over a bar two feet high. You and I can do that. So they look at the Olympics to see how do people strive to attain greatness by setting the bar higher and higher and higher. Well, we should do the same thing in agriculture is to continuously try to set the bar high so that people can work to achieve it. And then once someone does achieve that high bar, everybody now has a new standard to work towards. And everybody says that's the new goal. So we're trying to set that new goal and say here's, here's where we're at in – in a, as a leadership, you know, taking a leadership position in the concepts of healthy soil and ultimately healthy people. If you want to have healthy people, you've got to follow this lead and this bar. And that's what we're trying to do by creating this standard is, is set a high bar and create a, a leadership position where people will uh, hopefully be inclined to follow, both in terms of consumerism and uh, production. Well, it is our only hope, really, is that we start eating healthier and start treating the environment better and starting with our soil. That's right. It starts, it all starts, it begins with and ultimately ends with the soil. So how do we uh, use our, our resources here at Rodale and, and our ability to create a standard and a mechanism to drive people in that direction? So we're not suggesting or finding fault with organic, we're not backing away from the word organic. We're building on it and saying, let's take it to the next level. That While keeping is organic awesome. where, you know, let's take it to the next level. So, where can folks interested in transitioning their farm, ranch, or orchard over to regenerative organic certification go to learn more to prepare for this to become more um, widely open in 2019? Well, for right now, uh, you know, the Rodeo Institute website on our cover page, 
there is a uh, button you can push to find out more information about regenerative organic. Uh, you can go there. You can read over uh, both the, the sort of the one-page organic certification uh, piece that we have, and then you can also either download or read online there our whatever it is, 30, 35-page uh, document that of the framework that we created that we're working with. Keeping in mind that that's going to be adjusted now as uh, as we digest and evaluate the comments that people submitted based on that, and uh, so there's some fine tuning there. But they, you know, in 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 principle, it's going to stay very similar to what's there. We we, we will make those adjustments that um, make sense for us to do based on the comments. But in in theory and in in general, it's going to remain fairly intact with what's there. Uh, looking at the comments, uh, just in a sort of a gross, uh, high-level overview, there certainly were comments there that are going to be incorporated and are very meaningful, uh, but those were sort of fine-tuning and tweaking the system, getting the language right, getting the standard right, getting, you know, instead of saying um, only one tillage per year is going to be to a certain depth without mitigating circumstances, and if there's mitigating circumstances, maybe you can do two or more. You know, there's going to be some fine-tuning that goes on, but in general, uh, those pieces that are called out within the standard uh, will remain substantially in place, because we know that those are cornerstones to uh, successful, healthy soil building. Um, we don't want to till the soil over and over and over. We don't want to have monocropping. We know we want to get animals outside on pasture and give them the freedom to express their normal animal behavior. So those pieces are going to stay in place. Whether an animal needs four square feet or 3.75, we'll, we'll fine-tune that and, and, and make it work. But the question of whether animals go outside is going to still be there. So farmers and producers can get a good idea of the direction that we're heading just by reading that document finding out where they fit with their current operation, what adjustments or changes they may have to make. Uh, some will not have to make any. And they were already, uh, they go, boy, I already do all that. Well, great. Then it's, it's real simple. Some farmers say, may say, well, I really have to make some adjustments and changes before I could uh, meet that standard. But this gives me a target to shoot at and a, uh, a bar that I can begin to try to reach. And uh, that's what we want. There's a place for people to sign up to get more information. Uh, we have people signing up uh, to ask if they could be one of our pilot uh, sites. So they, you know, it's kind of fun to see that uh, uh, that people want to be first in line to have their farm be the first farm ever certified to this standard. That's mm -hmm. exciting to see. Uh, and I'm not sure how that'll all work out. That's not only up to me, of course, but. Uh, trying to find some farms that are appropriate for us to, to look at. The other thing to keep in mind is that this is not just a uh, domestic certification. This has international ramifications, too, and many of the uh, components here, uh, many American farmers say, well, I already do all this, and we're saying that's great. Uh, we can't wait to, to sign you up and get you the recognition you deserve. And then there are clearly farms that may be international where uh, it may be more challenging, and they'll have to make some adjustments to adhere to this uh, standard. But again, by setting the bar high, getting people in the door, getting people signed up, uh, we hope that over time, uh, 
everybody moves in a positive direction and that we'll get the desired impact that we want, both in terms of healthier soil and also healthier animals and, and, and healthier, healthier population. We are what we eat and we need to improve. We're not just what we eat, we're how what we eat was produced. So <laughs> not all carrots are created equal. Absolutely. I love it that there's not that there's not going to be this fixed transition time period like there is from conventional to organic for a lot of farmers they got to clean their soil up they got to do all this stuff and there's a there's a transition but for some of these farmers who are just doing organic this is going to be a beautiful transition where they can walk in and then finally get the recognition that they've been waiting for right exactly Wow. Well, thank you that's so our, much for coming on and talking that's about our, all this. What? My, my pleasure. It's been a, uh, a pleasure talking with you. Uh, hope all goes well. And anything that you or your listeners or readers can do to, uh, to help us, uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I'll be, I'll be sharing this and I'll be uh, sharing the website app, uh, for sure. And what other way can we support you? What way can the listeners uh, support you directly? Is there is there some way we can contribute to the Rodale Institute? Absolutely. I was just going to say that uh, I would be amiss, uh, and our, our development and philanthropic people here would be uh, annoyed with me if I did not give you that information. It's very simple to go on our website and just simply donate to the Institute and help us financially uh, support us in the work that we do. We are a 501c3 nonprofit. We, uh, we do all this. We, we give everything away that we create. Uh, we're not in the business of making money. We're in the business of, of making change. And uh, we could certainly benefit from any of the support that, that your folks could uh, contribute to us. And we would look forward to wel- welcoming, welcoming them uh, to our our family. Uh, we can't do it without people. And um, again, we don't do it for our own benefit. We do it for the benefit of you know, people in society uh, around the world. And so we would look forward to any contributions that people could be, would be interested in making to that cause. Well, we really appreciate you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take the mic and say it for everyone. But we... The, the people, my audience, and the people that only eat organic, like my family, we absolutely appreciate the work that you and this entire organization has been doing for decades, providing real concrete evidence and constantly you know, holding the banner and spreading the message so that we can have access to this kind of food. Like you said, we're, you know, we want organic to stay. Um, but we want to go further. And it's just so exciting that you guys fostered that initial step. And now that we're taking this next step, you guys are right there. So I just want to say thank you so much. It, it clearly and truly is our privilege to be able to do it. We appreciate your support, the support of people like you who go out and not just support the Institute, but purchase organic food and support those farmers who have taken up the challenge to to do what they know is, is the right thing to do. It's not always the easy thing to do. Uh, in most cases, it's not. But they've done it. They've done it for you. They've done it for me. And so 
again, buy organic food whenever and wherever you can. Support those farmers that are doing that. When the Regenerative Organic logo comes online, uh, support that as well. And please uh, send contributions to the Rodeo Institute so we can continue to do the work that we do and, and continue to be a leader in the organic community. Thank you so much, Jeff. That was perfect. My pleasure. It was uh, fun to chat with you. <laughs>